presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. Thank you. It's lovely to be here this morning and just to be able to stand, sit, however you did it in the presence of God. Thank you so much, team. Pretty beautiful leading there. That's really lovely. Um, <clears throat> I probably should introduce myself a little bit. Uh, my name is Fiona Vortman. I'm a pastor um, and I have been for, I reckon, I tried to work it out. I think, well, it's over 20 years now, so it's been a while. Um, my husband has been here, Hans, uh, has been here a number of times to preach to you, so um, I'm the other half. <laughs> so you're getting me today. Um, yeah, so it's, it is lovely to be here. We've um, just spent the last um, several days touring around the Air Peninsula and visiting a lot of little churches and just having some great times. And uh, this morning I'm here and he's up in Port Augusta, so I'm getting a lift up there later on today. And um, yeah, so it's been it's been wonderful. I I myself I have um, I. Uh, I'm on our CRC state executive and I am in charge of all the credentialing team. So for a pastor who's coming forward for credentialing, I'm in charge of all the things that are to do with that. So, And I'm also our regional coordinator for the pastors in the region that we live in, which is in the Adelaide Hills. So I've got lots of different hats that I put on. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's me. <laughs> Um, this morning I wanted to talk to you about the Holy Spirit and uh, it's a good place to talk about Holy Spirit in the church, don't you think? Yes. Good place. And just how many people would think that um, if you were going to look up a scripture about Holy Spirit, who would go to the New Testament to look one up? Who would go to the Old Testament to look one up? Okay, one person would go to the Old Testament. It's not... A lot of evidence of Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, like it's not really laid out there, was there's stacks and stacks of evidence of the Holy Spirit working in the New Testament. But there are different occasions where you just see evidence of um, of Holy Spirit actually sort of, in, I guess, infusing somebody and just just getting them to uh, to do extraordinary things for him. Um, one guy, Bezalel. Anybody know who Bezalel is? He was the man who made all the um, uh, things that went into the tabernacle. So he wove the curtains of the tabernacle. He made all the, the pots and the forks and the pitchers and whatever else they needed there, candlesticks, the Ark of the Covenant, all of those sorts of things. And it says in Exodus 31, it says, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with understanding, with wisdom, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Uh, Joshua, who's heard of Joshua? Okay, good, good. The Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the Spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. So he had the Spirit of God in him. Othniel. A judge. <laughs> okay. The spirit of the Lord came on him, so he became Israel's judge. Gideon, 
everybody knows who Gideon is. Okay, but the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abirazites, that's a hard one to say, gathered around him. David, King David, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. Ezekiel, Micah, Zechariah, there are individuals in the Old Testament that you read about that had the spirit of God on them. But it wasn't everybody. <laughs> there was people that were raised up to do certain things at certain times who had the spirit of God in them. I've just, at the moment, reading through the minor prophets and the major prophets, and if I was to look at those books and then condense them down into maybe a single phrase or two phrases, and I would say that what they are saying in those books, those prophets inspired by the Holy Spirit is change your ways and worship me. God is crying out to his people to stop worshipping idols or judgment would come on them. But after the words of judgment that God puts on the nations of Israel and of Judah, then there's always a word of consolation as well. For instance, like this one in Jeremiah 30, verse 3. Jeremiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people, Israel and Judah, back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess. So there's this promise, you know, that there's going to be judgment on them, but they will be restored. Now, the whole reason why God chose the people of Israel, was for them to be representatives of him. They were supposed to go into the nations and represent who Jesus was. Abraham's, um, the blessing that came on Abraham, that he would be the father of nations, was that, you know, if his people, his descendants, had just done what they were supposed to do, and be representatives of God on earth and present who the God of the universe was. I don't know. It would have, the world would have been different, that's for sure. But instead, they got sucked in to what the nations around them were doing. And so they had judgment that came upon them, but there was also that consolation. But you know what? God also said there was judgment on the nations that were around them. But the surprising thing is that there was also consolation for them. You see this a lot in the um, book of Jeremiah. To the Egyptians, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, I'm about to bring punishment on Ammon, God of Thebes, on Pharaoh, on Egypt, and her gods and her kings, and on those who rely on Pharaoh. I will give them into the hands of those who want to kill them, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his officers. But listen to this. Later, however, Egypt will be inhabited as in times past, declares the Lord. The Moabites, woe to you, Moab. The people of Chemosh are destroyed. Your sons are taken into exile and your daughters into captivity. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in days to come declares the Lord. Did you know this? I was absolutely fascinated by these scriptures. The Ammonites, I will bring terror on you from those all around you, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. 
Every one of you will be driven away and no one will, be, will gather the fugitives. Yet, afterwards, I will restore the fortunes of the Ammonites. The Elamites, I will set my throne in Elam and destroy her king and officials, declares the Lord. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Elam in days to come. Now I want you to remember those scriptures because we're going to find out when the days to come is. <laughs> when you think about the Old Testament, you, you think about all the historical parts in it, there's a whole lot of books that just are a whole lot of lineages. <laughs> this person had this person had this person and down and down and down. And sometimes when you get caught up in those things, you think, oh God, why have to read through this? But it's really, I think it's really important that we read through everything in the Bible so that we can get a full picture of what God was doing. You know, they'd, when the Israelites were in in Egypt. We don't hear a lot about what was going on in that time, except that they were like rabbits and producing lots and lots of little Israelites. <laughs> That's about all we know. There's a lot of detail in the Old Testament about the time of the Exodus through to King David. We hear a lot of stories around that time. And then for 575 years after David's reign, God consistently spoke to the prom, to, to, through the prophets, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and often speaking judgment, but also that consolation as well. And mostly they were saying, change your ways and worship me. And finally, Malachi had his prophecy, and that was in 440 BC, and then nothing. Nothing. For 440 years, there is nothing. There are a few little books that have been decided that they're not really need to be in the Bible that we read. There's nothing. And then something extraordinary happens. This time, it's not a prophet who comes, although John the Baptist did come, <laughs> but it's God himself. It's God himself that comes to earth. And Jesus is still saying the same message. Change your ways and worship me. But he's adding, watch me, I'll show you how to do it. You know, he was there to show us what a relationship with God was like. He talks about God as father. There was very few references to God as father in the Old Testament. But here Jesus is talking about God as Father because he's, he's inviting us into a relationship that's like a family. So we have God as our Father and Jesus becomes our brother as a result of that. And in amongst all this is this beautiful weaving of Holy Spirit and the work that he is doing through Jesus, through the disciples even. So he gave us beautiful example of what it is to change your ways and worship him it wasn't just something that he was again saying like the prophets but he was actually showing us how to do it now remember i said that in the old testament it was just like certain people were given evidence of the holy spirit outworking in their life but the new testament's different completely different 
I want you to imagine yourself on the day of Pentecost. You've been sitting in a room because Jesus told you to get together and to wait. And for 10 days, you've been sitting in this room. Okay, so look along the person alongside of you and say, I hope you've had a wash in these 10 days. (laughs) These are our ordinary people. Completely ordinary people. Okay, we've got our superstars in the room as well. We've got Peter, who's actually not feeling like a superstar at the moment because he's just done the thing that he said he would never do and that he denied Jesus. We've got James and we've got John who were part of that inner group. And then there's the 12 apostles. And then there's 120, or let me just say a little less than that, little over 100 people that we don't really even know who they are. Probably Mary was in the room. I would say Mary was definitely in the room. Maybe Mary Magdalene. But I don't know the names of the other people that were in that room. And they were, had 10 days. Now, I want you to get a sense of the emotion in the room as well because they are, they are incredibly sad because the person who they thought was going to restore the throne of David was gone So they would have been crying, weeping, and I think they would have also been telling stories of things that they remembered. Maybe the person on that side of the room hadn't heard a story that had happened to this person over here in their interaction with Jesus. And as I said, they were eating, they were drinking. I think they were probably praying as well. I think they were scared because Jesus had been killed and it seemed like the high priests and the other other. Uh, law people (laughs) Pharisees, thank you thank you, I needed Pharisees (laughs) those people (laughs) they were all out to get them Um, so I I think they were pretty scared it would have been an interesting place don't you think I've actually had the privilege of standing in a room in Jerusalem that they think was possibly the upper room it was an incredible experience now whether it was or it wasn't, it didn't matter. It, but you walked into that place with the expectancy in your heart of this is a special place. <laughs> and it became that. You know, you looked around the walls. It would have been a room around about this size. So, you know. Um, and there was, there was just this, this I don't know. I, I, wanted, I wanted to meet God. And I think I did, you know. I wanted to have that Holy Spirit interaction in that room. I had an expectancy in my heart. Now, of course, Jesus had said, wait the 10 days. So there was this expectancy in their heart. And then, boom, the Holy Spirit comes. I, could you imagine the excitement in the room? <laughs> It would have been absolutely extraordinary to be there. But they didn't stay in the room. What did they do? They rushed out into the streets, didn't they? And they had this incredible power that had fallen on them. And they were different people. And it was the dawning on that day of the church. And 2,000 years later, we are sitting in this room now 
because of that experience of them. They all died. The only reason why we're sitting here now is because they told other people who told other people who told other people down through the generations, Holy Spirit inspiring people to share the message of gospel, who Jesus was. And the scripture that is recorded here from the the, uh, book of Joel and recorded by Luke in Acts, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Can you say that? All people. That means you and me now. We need the Holy Spirit now because there's a generation after us that has also got to know who Jesus is. See, if any generation stopped telling who Jesus was, then we wouldn't be sitting here. It's our responsibility now to make sure it goes on the next generation. All people. This is not David, Othniel, Bezalel, individuals inspired in the Old Testament. This is all people now, for all time, all people. This is a a new dawn. Holy Spirit is for all of us and not just for the individuals like it was in the Old Testament. And this is a, this is radical. This is a radical prophecy that Joel recorded. It makes such a difference when you have Holy Spirit working in your life to inspire you to open your eyes to the things that God is doing. So when Stephen stood up in Acts and declared his love for Jesus, it cost him his life, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then there's Lydia, there's Dorcas, there's Paul, there's Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila, all these people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit who declared the amazing wonders of God. Holy Spirit didn't stop with the people of the around the time of Jesus, around the time of the day of Pentecost. He continued on. There are early church fathers. Ambrose, Jerome, Augustine. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then we get to medieval times where you have people like Hilda of Whitby and Thomas Aquinas. And then you've got Jan Hus and John Calvin and Martin Luther who were of the Reformation, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, carrying the message of Jesus and who he was and what he had done in their lives. And then more recently, we've got Charles Wesley, William Carey, William J. Seymour of the Azusa Street Revival, C.S. Lewis, Billy Graham, Leo Harris. Who knows who Leo Harris is? He's the founder of the CRC Churches International. What I don't want to know, is your name going to be joined with one of the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? 
are people going to be saying of you in generations to come, this person told of the works of God. When the Holy Spirit arrived on that day, people rushed out into the streets. And what it says is that they declared the wonders of God. Declaring the wonders of God is something that you and I must always be ready to do. Inspired by the Holy Spirit and saying, God, I want every opportunity to be able to declare your wonders. <laughs> Let me just read the scripture to you here. This is from Acts. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came, to gather, came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Remember the Elamites that I spoke about in that prophecy that the consolation would come after the judgment? Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt. The Egyptians had a, had a scripture about judgment and consolation. And parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. This is a challenge for us in our own tongues. Now, I want to challenge you that it's not just the language that we speak, whether we're um, speaking English or Spanish or German or Italian or those kind of languages. I want to talk to you about different languages because there are people in our communities that are speaking a language that we need to start connecting with. And these languages are maybe different to what you think. Languages of loneliness, languages of poverty, of fear, abandonment, language of work stress, family breakdown, relationship collapse, unfulfilled dreams, confusion, loss of hope, and a whole stack of other emotions and hurts and disappointments that people around you in your community, the people that you touch that I can't touch, that so desperately need for somebody to speak into their lives through the language that they are speaking so that you can connect with them. If somebody is speaking language of relationship collapse, then you don't talk to them about things of financial wealth or through poverty or something like that. You need to speak to them in the language of relationship collapse. That's what you need to speak to them. You've got to think about your community, those people that you come in contact with. Find out a little bit about their world and where they're coming from. People are... Uh, on the whole, I think people are very lonely and they need somebody to just, um, you know, legitimately connect with them 
And for you to do that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he will orchestrate your moment. And he will give you the words to say. You don't have to worry about them. Let me tell you a story. We have a good friend who's a pastor, and his mother and her friend had been friends for 20 or 30 years. And they were in each other's world quite often. They'd have coffee together and just be friends. And this lady had never once told her friend that she was a Christian and what Jesus meant to her because she was afraid that if she said anything, this woman would think she was wacky and would break the friendship and the friendship was very precious for her. And then one day, I think she was probably just overwhelmed by Holy Spirit, I think. (laughs) And so she launched out. And her friend accepted Jesus as her saviour. And it was just, she was, she was just so happy. And, you know, they were, after the coffee time and after just, you know, rejoicing in what had happened, they went their separate ways. And then there was, some time went by and so she phoned up her friend and said, hey, I haven't heard from you for a while, what's going on? And her friend said to her, I'm so angry with you. For 20 or 30 years, we've had a friendship and you never once told me about who God was to you. And I feel like I've lost 20 or 30 years of a relationship with God who now means everything to me. (laughs) How's that? Every time I think of that, I just go, oh, you know. (sighs) How many people in your life have you not told about who Jesus is to you? You've missed some opportunities. Let me inspire you today through Holy Spirit. Please don't let another opportunity go by. Are you part of all people whom God has sent the Holy Spirit to? I am. Is the next generation going to find out about who Jesus is? The only way that happens is because you and I say something. The Holy Spirit has given you a story to tell of your relationship, your growth in him, the things that you have seen him do in your life. Your testimony is very powerful Because there is no way somebody can say to you, well, that's not true. (laughs) They haven't walked in your shoes. You have a story to tell that can change somebody else's life because of what God has done and changed in you. Every moment of every day, we have opportunities of being able to speak about who God is and what he's done in our lives if we have eyes to see what God is doing. Even if it's just encouraging ourselves. (laughs) We need encouragement in ourselves and we can connect with Holy Spirit. Just encourage me. (laughs) He's our comforter. He is full 
of grace. He's full of love for us. But he's also full of grace and love for the people that you come in contact with. Declare the wonders of God to your community because I can't. I don't live in Wayala. I don't live in the street that you live in. I don't work in the workplace that you work in. I don't have the family that you have. You do. And your charge is to tell of the wonders of God, what he's done in your life, so that those people can in turn go and tell others. This is how the church continues on from generation to generation. We all have a responsibility. Change your ways. Worship him. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Be inspired by Holy Spirit to take every moment to tell of the wonders of God. I just want to share with you some of the wonders of God that's been happening in my life. And sometimes when you look back in your life, you think, oh, you know, there's some hard times that I've gone through. There's some good times that I've gone through. But they each seem to all come together and melt together and join in the part of the, the story that you are able to share with other people. Um, in March last year, Hans and I decided that, that this year, actually probably couple of months ago we decided that it was time for us to go back and see his family his family's in Europe so <laughs> it's not like you just go bonk, <laughs> like this and uh, so you know there's a lot of planning involved in going to visit his family because they're a long way away and it costs a lot of money to get there <laughs> anyhow so we started the planning and uh, our son Caleb really was very unhappy because he's um, a bit of a, um, I, don't, I wouldn't call him a worry wart, but he tends to read things that, that put a bit of worry in him. And he was reading stuff that was happening in Europe and how, um, you know, during winter they were going to have some hard times because there wasn't any um, oil coming through because of the war in Ukraine. So he said to mum and us and said, look, really, I don't think you should be going but he didn't say it once, like Caleb is. He said it, not this Caleb, mind you. <laughs> uh, my Caleb said it about 150 times because that is what my Caleb is like, just on and on and on and on about it. So he's annoying, but anyhow. <laughs> so we, can, we just thought, well, well whatever. <laughs> so we started putting, um, you know, started trying to get some things and we wanted, we were going, we were actually going with a, with a bunch of friends, so that was pretty cool. And so we started planning some fun things that we could do while we were there when we weren't visiting family and we, it just nothing worked out. We couldn't, we've been to visit the family before and we've done lots of planning and everything was working out. This time, nothing. We couldn't get anything to sort of line up. Didn't know why, okay. So then in August of last year, the senior pastor of our church resigned. And I was left as the only pastor who was employed in the church, and it was um, that was pretty full on for me. Um, and then in September, I found out 
that I actually wasn't going to have a job anymore because the new pastor that was coming in was going to get the hours of the previous pastor but also my hours as well. So suddenly I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> this is pretty tough because I thought, you know, I would work out the rest of my working life in that church and so suddenly now there was nothing happening. So all of these things, some good, some bad, were not lining up right. And then we decided as a result of me not having a job um, towards the end of the year, we decided it wasn't really a good idea to put all our savings into a trip overseas because maybe we ought to not have a mortgage. (laughs) Because when you're going into the unknown, having a a debt over your head is not so good. So we cancelled the trip and said to our friends, really sadly, I'm sorry, we're not coming (laughs) We just can't do it, can't feel, nothing's working. And so we put what money we had saved and put it into our mortgage so we wouldn't have such a big one. And then in December, we received a phone call from uh, the pastor of the church that my parents attended in Melbourne. Now, my, my father and my mother um, and my aunt and uncle all together started that church in 1976 and... My father had been the senior pastor of that church forever. They'd retired. They, they lived on the property in a manse. And the pastor phoned us and said, listen, we don't think that your mum and dad are actually coping very well. They're in their mid-80s. Um, we need to start making the plans for the future. Um, you know, what's going to happen with them? They, because they were on a church property, they didn't have any nearby neighbours. My mother has dementia and my father's quite frail. Um, and we'd seen several times where mum was completely disconnected with what was going on. You know, dad had fallen over and she just kept watching TV because <laughs> in her dementia uh, mind, it just wasn't really connecting with her. So we knew that something had to happen. Um, lots of family meetings during January and uh, trying to work out what we were going to do. Nothing was coming together, really wasn't. Um, My parents were very resistant about aged care. They didn't want to do that. Um, I'm going out of here in a box, my father said. (laughs) We can arrange that if you like. (laughs) No, not really, sorry. (laughs) This is not taped, is it? (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, (laughs) it it was... Difficult time. Um, and so we, we'd actually, every now and then, we were staying with mum and dad and every now and then we'd sort of get out of the situation because it was really overwhelming. And so I'm sitting at my sister-in-law's one afternoon and I just took a deep breath and said to my husband, I think mum and dad have to come and live with us. And he said, yep which was the second biggest miracle of my life. <laughs> it's a big thing. That's a big thing. They were moving from Melbourne to Adelaide to live with us. So they were cutting ties with, with all the, their normal life and were coming to live with us. And it was amazing how it all sort of... It just, in the end, it all came together pretty easily, with a bit of trauma, I must say, 
Mum's grabbing things as she's walking out of the house for the last time. I've got to take this. It's a bit of plastic, Mum. Put that down. You don't need a bit of plastic, you know. That sort of thing was happening. Everything suddenly became very precious and it was ridiculous. So they moved from a big, huge house into a little kind of apartment that we've got in our house. So it was perfect the way that that was all set up. And we had actually built that house two years previous with a little apartment in it, not knowing the apartment was going to be actually occupied by my parents. So I tell you this because all of those things, those events that sort of went through, got us to the stage of actually being happy to accept that responsibility. But also, you know, had we not gone through that whole process and, you know, gone through the the planning of the trip and then realising that we were becoming carers and we'd have to lay it all down, God had removed that from us several months before we even knew that we had to look after my parents. And, you know, I think to me that's a bit of a blessing because I don't look at mum and dad and say, you stop me from going and visiting my husband's family. <laughs> I don't even think about that. But I could have if I'd realised, because, I mean, it's pretty hard to get respite to go overseas when you're looking after aged people. So this is, to me, is, is a wonderful example that has outworked in my life where there's a whole bunch of things that, that seem to not be connected together and yet God has connected those things and to and for me this has become a wonderful part of the story of Holy Spirit working in my life and preparing me for a season that was going to be an interesting one let me say (laughs) an interesting one (laughs) we (laughs) we cared for Hans's mother for about five years in our home before eventually she had to go to a an aged care facility because she broke her hip and it was just not possible anymore. So we knew what we were getting involved in, but dementia is a whole other <laughs> world. <laughs> and so it is has been interesting. But I look on those things and I think, Holy Spirit, you just are so gracious, so incredibly gracious that he has led me on this path to help me accept this responsibility and to outwork it. What is your story? What has Holy Spirit gently wooed you along in your path of life? What are the events that have come together that you didn't realise were even vaguely connected and yet now you have a story to tell, a testimony of God's gracious work in your life? of the Holy Spirit moving in your life, drawing you on so that you have the ability to tell that person in your life, in your community, what God has done for you. That's my challenge to you today. You might need prayer this morning for courage. You might need prayer for just a clear mind that you can just work through those things that God has done in your life and put them into a story that you'll be able to tell others. If you've never had an interaction with the Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll take this morning knowing that you are part of all people 
whom the Holy Spirit came and rested on. Your mandate, my mandate, is to make sure that the next generation knows who Jesus is. Will your name join those 120 others in that upper room who have been so filled with the Holy Spirit that you just want to race out into the streets and tell of the wonders of God? Why don't you stand to your feet? As we're standing, I'm just going to get a little um, piece of paper for you to take home with you. And I'm going to—I just want to read this to you. It's called an invitation to live a life unrivaled. We live in a day and age when everything around us is tempest-tossed. But if you know who you are and whose you are, you will stand. Your Heavenly Father wrote out the intimate details of your life in his book long before you drew your first breath. No one else can live your story. It is time your pages came alive. Living the storylines written for others will leave what God has written of you unfulfilled. Each and every one of us has a specific course and destiny. The Holy Spirit's direction is essential if you are going to live a life without without rival. This spirit-led life is not merely a concept or a romantic hope. It is an expression of spiritual discipline and a personal act of worship, a life of devotion, not distraction. With each act of obedience in both your intimate and your public life, he will detail his purpose for your life and his voice to you will grow in clarity. Your life and its potential is a God-given entrustment. It would be a shame if all that is in you were like so much treasure and talents buried under the opinions and expectations of strangers, you are not here on earth as a spectator. You have far more important and interesting things to do with your life. It is time you knew this. Stand before God, radiant in hope, faithful in serving and loving in all you do. For you, my friend, have been seeded with a stunning story of promise, a destiny without rival. Now go with the courage born of love and boldly spend your life in pursuit of everything God has for you. I promise it will be worth it. That's my encouragement with you. I'm asking you to take that home and to just read that over and get it into your spirit because God has something in your life that only you can carry, only you can do, only you can tell your story. And I pray that that is what you do. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for precious Holy Spirit. We thank you that as we allow him access into our lives, as we open up more and more and more to him, Lord, that your presence in our story becomes more real. Because what you have done in our lives is worthy of being told.
and we are the only ones that can tell it. My next door neighbor can't tell my story of love of God. I can tell them my story. I can tell my workmate, my family member. I can tell the person that's in the dog park or sitting next to me on the bus or just in random places. Lord, open up opportunities for each and every one of us in this room to just be able to have a moment where we can tell of the wonders of God. To have a moment where we can say that you can have a different life because God loves you so much and he will open up all that you should be because of what he's done for you, because of what Jesus did for you. Lord, let us be aware of your presence and your activity in our life. Let us look even for the little ordinary things. Lord, we are ordinary people, but we serve an extraordinary God. And Lord, you have told us that even those ordinary little things are part of a story that has been going down through the generations. And we have our part to play to tell others who Jesus is. Give us those moments that we can speak. Lord, and give us the courage to be able to step into those moments and to speak. Father God, your presence is in this place. And I pray for everyone here, Lord, for what is ever is they're thinking in their minds and their hearts right now that you just draw them along and set them on a path to become one of those people who tells your story in their lives to further generations. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.